Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 1. Earlier in the week, um, even after uh, even after the surgery, I really I really wanted to preach today because I had a burden for a message that I wanted to give um, that I really thought um, would be a timely message and something that was really on my heart. And um, then yesterday, all of a sudden, I had just a real sense that it was not the message for today. And I started to to question things as to whether you know, I had done the right thing by trying to go ahead and press on after surgery um, to preach. And so I was praying and asking the Lord and thinking through what I might can give. And my mind came back to John 1 here. And I've said this before. I don't know if this is the message for today, but I think this is the text for today. And so when we read this, I really want you to listen to this. I really want us, I pray that the Lord would help us to hear the word of the Lord this morning, to actually sit under the word of God this morning as though you've never heard it, even though it's a familiar voice. Because what John is all about, and especially um, concentrated in chapter 1, is the subject of life, life, spiritual life, vitality. And I felt like this was the right thing, and I, I had a sense, at least some sense of rightness about it, because as Rachel and I were talking through it last night, and I was talking through the message, we ended up in prayer and just pleading with the Lord that He would not let the life leave. Yeah. He would not let the life leave in our own lives, on an individual level, as a church, just that everything that we do would be full of life. And I, you know, it's been a long time, it's been too long. Since I've listened to some of those sermons by Ravenhill, uh, you know, and Keith Green, a lot of his music and some of those uh, messages from guys like that that were so radical, they were almost reckless. And I was sitting there thinking last night, the reason why they were that way is because they were scared to death of losing the life. They knew that it was indispensable. Life is indispensable. And it's a frightening thing because it's so easy to keep the structure and not have life. It happens all the time. It happens in churches. It happens to sound churches. It happens in the life of individual believers, even true Christians. You can get into a season where the mechanism is moving forward, everything feels fine, but the life is gone. And you start to notice this because the things that relate to life become dispensable. Things like just simple communion with the Lord. That meeting during the week, the prayer meeting, becomes dispensable because it relates to life. Bible reading, where you're just sitting down not to answer a theological question, but you've come back just because you miss Jesus. Singing in the car. You remember that when you were a young Christian? When you sang in the car? You sang wherever you were. You sang everywhere because you had something to sing about. What is that? That's life. That's life. And what I want to encourage us with this morning is wherever you're at on the spectrum of life, even if you're not a Christian here today, or if you're a Christian here that's full of life, or if you're a Christian here whose life you see it starting to ebb, Christ is available today and is ready and willing to pour life into anyone who wants it. And my prayer today 
is that as we read this text, we would see this as the indispensable element of our lives in this church. That's what's happening in Revelation when Christ is walking among the lampstands and he's threatening to take away their candlestick. You know what? That, that's just another thing for life. So let's pray, let's read this morning, and let's ask the Lord to renew us with a sense of what this, what this actually is and what, what the opportunities that lay before us today. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of, the man, of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So as I mentioned this morning, we will, I just want to look at kind of an overview of John 1 here as it relates to um, the fact that all life exists in Christ. What is the relationship between life and light what does it mean then that man is dead in his sins? How does that relate to all of this? And what has Christ done about it? Um, this will just be an overview. I'm not going to hit every detail in this passage. If you know anything about John 1, you know that John 1, 1, there are literally entire volumes wrote, written about what, it, what the word means, the word. I mean, there are, there are literally whole multi-volume studies just on that one phrase alone. We're not going to be doing that this morning. Um, I couldn't do that this morning. And what has me gripped and what often encourages me the most a lot in Scripture, and I would encourage you to do this also, is to look for the message that's in the big context. There's a, there's a message in words. Certainly there is. Paul does that in Galatians. But there's a message in the context and in the flow of thought here of what John is doing. And so that's what I want to look at today. Let's start in verse 1, 1, 1, 1 through 3. We'll read through it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him... Nothing came into being that has come into being. The point here is very clear. 
If everything was created through Christ, then that means that he is uncreated, self-sustained life. All life that you find on this earth is wholly derived from him. He has a monopoly on it. There is no life outside of Christ. And I believe this is true in the physical realm, which ought to encourage us. Every time you see life in the physical realm, it should serve as a reminder that all life has come through Christ, that all things were created through him. However, in this context, I don't think that's John's primary emphasis. I think John's primary emphasis here relates to spiritual life. He wants to make clear that if you are going to find true spiritual life, true spiritual vitality, you will find it no other place except in the Lord Jesus Christ. In him was life. John talks about this later on. Let me read you a few more references. John 5, 26, Just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave the Son to have life in himself. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, it's all over the place. It's in all of these verses that you, the first verses you learn as a child. John eleven twenty five. 25, Lazarus is dead. Christ is talking to Martha. What does he tell her? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is one of my favorite. And this ought to encourage you when you wake up and you are dry and no life is there and you want so much to enter into what Christ has for you. You want so much to enter into communion with Christ. And the devil comes and slanders you that Christ is stingy with this life, that it's hard to get life from Christ. He's a hard master. You have to get everything just right and then he may give you life because he doesn't have much of it or he just doesn't want to give it. I love this picture in Revelation 22. One, it says, Then he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. Here the Lamb sits, and life is pouring out from his throne. That's why it's called a throne of grace. And so the thing to do in these times of need, in these times when you feel dry, get to the throne of grace. There's life pouring out of that throne. There's life. In him was life. John also makes a parallel statement in his epistle, 1 John 5.11. It says, And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. All life belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Anywhere you see life, it's derived from him. And this is especially true and emphasized in the spiritual realm. So with this in mind, we read this phrase right here in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. What does that mean? What does it mean that the life was the light of men? Well, let's break this down into its parts and first establish, well, what does John mean by light? For a person to have light, according to John and according to the Bible, it means that they are able to see reality as it is. That's what light is in the Bible. It means that you have a clear view of things. Your assessment of reality is correct. Listen to a couple of these references. John 11, 9 through 10. Are there not 12 hours in the day? 
If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. See, he's stumbling around. He doesn't have a clear view of reality. Listen to John twelve thirty five. For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. See, there's a lack of reality. There's a lack of clarity. And doesn't this describe the world? People bumbling around in darkness, doing all sorts of things that are just insane. You watch people trying to alleviate the unhappiness in their life, running headlong into things that are very clearly going to make them even more unhappy. They throw themselves at idols. They throw themselves at relationships, hoping that the next thing that they find is finally going to be what solves their problem. Hoping, like the devil, has like a carrot dangling on the end of the stick, leading them alone, and it's, it's just pure insanity. No one in the history of mankind has ever found any peace outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what's happening this morning, though? Everyone's trying to find peace outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why what happens is you find these people on Wall Street, these multi-billionaires, they end up killing themselves. Why? Because they finally got to the top. They finally got to the end and they saw there really is nothing here. It was a lie. See, everyone downstream is still thinking, man, if I can get to the next thing, that may be what makes me happy. But this guy up here who's finally gotten it all, he realizes it is, it's a sham. There is no peace in this world. What is that? They're walking around in darkness. They don't have any reality. No reality. So that's what it means to have light. You have a clear assessment of things. So the point that John is making is that the only way men are going to have light is if they have life. You see the connection there? In him was life, and the, and the life was the light of men. Christ himself says this, John eight twelve. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I... And the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There it is, right there. You want light, you want a clear assessment of reality, you want to see things as they clearly are. And this not only applies as a side note to non Christians, a Christian can get into this state when life is ebbing. When you haven't been cultivating the love relationship with Jesus Christ, and maybe you've been busy with a lot of things that are good things, but the life is not being cultivated inside of you, reality can start to get dim in you. And what happens? What happens? Oh, we've seen it happen at prayer meeting. We've seen it happen at other things. You're praying along. You feel like you're praying and this, you know, this massive wet blanket is over you. There's no reality. You want to quit. And all of a sudden... Life springs up and you start seeing the things that are real and earnest and you start praying for weighty, important things and you start saying to yourself, what have I been doing? These things are the priority. What happened there? Life starts to come back, light shines, and you can finally see reality again. Finally see reality again. So it is in this context of... um, 
let me see here. Let me make sure I'm not skipping over something. Okay, here. So it says right here in verse 5, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It's in this, con- it's in this context of a dark world that is devoid of the life of Christ, and therefore has no light, no reality, this dark world, that Christ comes and shines in the darkness. And as I read this text here, the darkness does not comprehend it. You, sit, you skip down to, verses, uh, to verse 10, and you see what happens when light shines in a dark world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. Light comes to a dead world, shines forth, and what happens? They yawn. They didn't see anything. It says that those who were created didn't know their creature. Psalm 19 says that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. There is no excuse, there's no such thing as real atheism. All over The creation is screaming to the world around it. There is a God. That's Romans 1 also. But creatures look at the Creator and they don't see anything out of the ordinary. They yawn and go on about their business. It says in in the second half of the verse, He came to His own, but those who were His own did not receive Him. This is almost certainly talking about the Jews and the redemption that happened back there in Egypt. I mean, after all that happened, after all of the glory that was manifested to this group of people, they end up in idolatry and the nation ends up in exile because they will not worship God. Even after seeing Him dispel the entire Egyptian army and deliver them time after time after time after time. They had no clear view of reality. No clear view of of reality. And this is what happens again when light goes forth but no life exists. Remember, you've got to have you've got to have life to see light. In order to really see reality, you've got to have life in you. And so that explains why all through John You have these people that are being confronted with Christ, they're seeing these glorious things happen and either they are unamused or mostly annoyed. You get the Pharisees and you're just, you're just shocked at the stuff that is coming out of their mouth at someone so glorious as the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the explanation? They can't see. They can't see. And this right here really explains the fundamental problem of man. What is man's fundamental problem? What do we mean when we say that man is dead in his sins? I thought John Piper summed this up very helpfully. He says this. He says, Most of the people you see at the mall or at work look alive. If you tell them they are dead, they will think you've lost your mind. But if you substitute spiritual blindness and darkness for deadness, then you start to see what John means. People aren't dead because they can't walk or talk or think or feel or even see with physical eyes. They are dead because seeing they do not see. That's what spiritual deadness is. That's what we mean when we say man is dead in his sins. We mean there's no life inside of him. Because there's no life, there's no light. 
And because there's no light, they can read the Bible all day long. And what will, you hear it all the time. It just feels like another book. Or somebody stands up here and gives their testimony, and they're just glowing. They're overflowing with the glory of what God has done. And a lost person can sit there, and it's just another story. But not to a Christian. Not to a Christian. Christians about to come unglued out of their chair. Why? Because they can see the reality of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God has done something in this person. Christ is not just one religious leader among others. He's not just one option in my day of things that I need to get done. He's absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. Christ is able to overcome this death and darkness though. I love this verse here in chapter 12. It says, So what we have up until this point, we have light shining into the darkness, and we have creatures rejecting the Creator. We have the redeemed rejecting their Redeemer in the case of the Jews. Light's going forth, and nothing's happening because, de- because of sheer just deadness. But in 12 it says this, it says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, you see it there, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All of the sudden, around Christ, people start to see something. People start to follow him. You have there in, uh, later on in John chapter 6, Christ uh, multiplies the bread and the loaves and this crowd's watching him and they're thinking this could be really handy to have this guy around who can make bread like this. So they want him around, but then he starts talking and gets himself into trouble. He starts telling them what it's going to cost to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And they don't like this anymore. He's great when he's doing stuff like making bread, supplying their needs, maybe saying some things that don't offend. But when he starts talking about the demands of discipleship, it comes down to the fact that they don't think that he's worth it. And so it specifically says later in John 6 that many who were following him turned away and followed him no more. But there's this little group that couldn't. That couldn't. Jesus turned, I mean, would you have done this in John 6? All these people have already left. You've got the little band of disciples who we all know are very fragile, just like us, that are left. Instead, Jesus, Jesus, you know, he doesn't turn to them and say, now listen guys, these guys are really, they're misunderstanding, they're applying this too far, you know, we can kind of ease you into this. He doesn't say this. He says, do you want to go too? It's amazing. That's authority. That's glory right there. He's not groveling. He's not needy. He's not, oh guys, don't misunderstand it. He stands alone outside of humanity, towering over everyone and says, Do you want to go too? And what does Peter say? Lord, to whom shall we go? What happened? Peter saw something. That other crowd, they had seen nothing, but Peter saw something. And what he saw was so glorious, it was so precious... It was so indispensable that he said, Lord, I see how rough it's going to be, but I don't have anywhere else to go because you alone have the words of life. He had life and he saw this is indispensable. There is nothing else on this earth that is worth having if you don't have the life of Christ. What will it profit a man if he gains the entire world and he loses his own soul? Lord, to whom shall we go? 
He had burnt all of the bridges. He had burnt all the bridges. He had life. And the way that that happened in verse 12 is that people are born of God. Isn't that what happens? Isn't that how you come alive? Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but of men, nor of the will of men, but of God. The life was manifested. Light was shining forth. And for those that have this life inside of them, they see the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, by way, by way of application, we need to be praying for this. We need to be praying for each other. In our prayer meetings, we need to be praying that God would give us life. He's given us life, Lord. We want more life. We want to, to remove these obstacles in our life. We don't want to become a group that just goes through the motions and does good things. We want life. If you're not a Christian here this morning, this really ought to encourage you. It ought to show you one thing, your condition. You're dead. You're dead in your sins. If you're reading the Bible and if your chief complaint is, I read but I don't see anything. I don't see any glory. I don't understand what the big deal is. The Bible just answered your question. You don't see glory because you're dead in your sins. But Christ is the giver of life. Christ can overcome death and darkness. And if you come to Him and you ask Him to give you life and you lay yourself before Him and say, Lord, have your own way. I want to know you. I want your life. He will give you that life. And when you get life, you will have light. Let's pray. Lord, again, we want to come and we want to ask, Lord, that you would make these things real to us. I pray you might be pleased to use the word today, Lord, or maybe use something that said to stir us up, Lord, to press on, to know the Lord, to not, to not settle down for anything less than a vibrant walk with Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.